Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Communications Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I'm happy to introduce my guest, Reggie Snyder of Taylor English Duma LLP, based in Atlanta, Georgia, boasting a full-service firm with 175 attorneys including a geographic scope of remote lawyers situated across the country, doing business also in California, Florida, D.C., New York, Tennessee, Texas, and so on, serving over 15 industries. Reggie himself is an experienced trial lawyer whose litigation practice primarily focuses on contract construction and real estate disputes, products liability, and personal injury. Welcome to the show, Reggie. Hi, Bethany. Thank you. Happy nice to, to be ha- here. Great to have you also. Uh, well, let's start by getting to know you, learning about your background, uh, you know, maybe where you went to school. Are you from Georgia? What kinds of things did you do before getting involved in serving the cannabis industry? Well, Bethany, I am originally from Birmingham, Alabama, uh, where I attended University of Alabama at Birmingham and um, Subsequently left there, uh, left graduation and went to Sanford University in Alabama um, to get my law law degree. And while I was at Sanford, I uh, earned a public master's of public health um, at UAB. And my initial intent was to, you know, work with doctors and healthcare professionals and sort of represent them. But I learned very quickly that I really enjoyed litigation, particularly contract and real estate disputes. Uh, so I focused on that um, and subsequently moved to Houston, Texas a couple of years later, uh, where I practiced with a large regional firm there, doing mostly the same thing. And while I was in Houston, my mom uh, and my dad got sick. My mom contracted uh, or developed um, stage four stomach cancer, and uh, my dad had COPD from years of smoking. So um, that's kind of where I started really hearing more and more about cannabis uh, and the benefits that it could have uh, with treating people who are suffering from various kinds of illnesses, particularly folks who are going through chemotherapy to treat cancer, which is what my mom was going through at the time. And so as I learned more about it, I really wanted to kind of get more familiar with the industry and, and um, started really doing my homework. My mom never used cannabis uh, once she was alive and she passed away after a couple of years of battling cancer. Um, but I, you know, continued to look into the industry and, and as states began to legalize cannabis across the country, I really dialed in. And as we were living in Georgia, um, that's when I first saw the talk of Georgia getting a cannabis um, 
legislation passed. And, and so that's kind of where it began for me. Great. Well, thank you for sharing um, some of your history there in, in the South. And um, sorry to hear about the illnesses that your parents uh, experienced. And, it, you know, it sounds like many of us know people who have experienced illness who may have benefited from using cannabis for their quality of life. Uh, so as we start to see more states at least adopt medical cannabis programs, if not adult use, we're making progress toward toward this healing. Um, so you mentioned you were in Alabama, Texas, Georgia. These states typically uh, are not the first to legalize cannabis, to say the least. Um, and and I wonder, before cannabis even, um, what other types of clients or industries were you serving? I mean, probably a little less exciting than cannabis, <laughs> just due to most other industries being federally legal. What kinds of other uh, work were you doing there? Right. You're absolutely right. They were definitely not as interesting as cannabis. Uh, when I started out my career, I primarily represented insurance carriers um, and large companies. I had a number of cases for Walmart and um, Big Lots, which is a large retail store in the Southeast, and a few others that deal with products liability and, and insurance uh, defense for personal injury kind of stuff. I did a lot of defense work. And then when I moved to Houston, still a young lawyer, uh, I had to actually learn about oil and gas and, and uh, mineral rights and all that kind of thing. That's very big in Texas, as you might imagine. Uh, and so mm -hmm. um, I represented BP Amico and a number of other sort of local oil and gas companies, traveled all around the state of Texas and a lot of the Southwest, um, handling cases like that, dealt with a lot of um, wind energy types of technology it was new at the time, this was probably in the early 2000s. So there were big wind farms being built all around the state, close to the coast. And um, there was a lot of new technology and a lot of energy related things. And I've represented also Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company uh, in a number of different product uh, liability lawsuits that they were uh, battling in Texas. And so, you know, it was, it was interesting, very complex stuff and I enjoyed it. But uh, certainly not quite like cannabis. And then we moved to Georgia. Uh, I worked with a big firm in, in Atlanta here, uh, handling mostly what they call insurance subrogation work, which is essentially you represent the insurance carrier to try and recover money that they've had to spend on a, on a loss, whether it's fire or injury of any kind. Um, so I did that for a while. And um, then I started my own firm and I started representing a lot of different governmental entities doing all kinds of different things, but mostly in the contract and real estate space. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of different experiences. I've represented a lot of different entities. Um, so I had a pretty good broad background when I, I yeah. started. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds, sounds pretty holistic, actually. Uh, so when you made the decision to move into the cannabis space, uh, how did that happen? Like, what was what was that like when when you made the decision to add that to your resume literally and and brought you to where you're at today and and what your company's doing in the industry well i remember it being so i've been reading about it i read a lot about um, 
you know, kind of up and coming industries, burgeoning new um, industries that are coming around and kind of growing very rapidly. And cannabis was one of those things that was just like a groundswell all around the country. And I was reading and reading, and I, I remember going to my law partner and telling him, you know, I think we need to start looking at cannabis. Uh, and, and Georgia had just passed this first iteration of a mar- medical marijuana bill called the, the um, Haley's Act, named after a little girl who had uh, seizures. And the weird thing about the statute was that it allowed people in Georgia to possess the drug, but you had no way of buying it. It was no way to manufacture it in the state. You couldn't transport it across state lines. So I just looked at it and thought, well, that's really very odd. It's a catch-22. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking to him about it, and he was a little bit – he was he was just uh, perplexed about it. Uh, he didn't know why I would want to do it. But as I explained to him about what the industry really is, it's a very sophisticated industry. It's not like potheads out selling you know, weed out of the trunk of a car. I mean, this is a, these are corporate entities that are very, very sophisticated. And then when you talk about medical marijuana, you know, you have to make sure the stuff is safe. It's produced properly. It has standards. So there, were, there was a real space for us to, to operate in. And so I started personally just sort of diving into it, researching it, writing about it, um, talking to as many folks as I could. It was very new here. So there weren't many people who actually involved in it here. Um, and I've just learned so much over the years, probably now, maybe three and a half years of working on it. And the last year, the state of Georgia passed the HOPE Act, which is the act that actually allows uh, for the state to issue licenses for production um, and for um, and for dispensaries. So we're on our way now. Gotcha. So how many cannabis clients, uh, if you know off the top of your head, does your firm Taylor English Juma work with currently? So we have a number of clients um, who are interested in applying for a license. So nobody's actually doing anything in Georgia yet because no licenses have been issued. But we have, um, I'd probably say maybe a half a dozen different clients who are in various aspects of the industry. Some are wanting to get a production license. There's a client that we've been uh, approached by who wants to open a testing laboratory. There are a couple of folks who want to do dispensaries, including a pharmacist, an independent compounding pharmacist who wants to get his own dispensary license for his pharmacy, which is one of the licenses that are allowed here in Georgia. Yeah. So we've got, um, a number of different companies that are looking and I've now recently um, kind of worked on a, a matter just on the sort of tangential at this point. We haven't really gotten much done, but it's a real estate deal, but it involves um, a large production facility in a part of Georgia. I can't really, it's confidential right now, but sure, sure. it's going to be a very big deal if they obtain a license and we can talk about, whenever you're ready to talk about yeah. specifics of licensing, but yeah, that is a big part of um, what's going to need to happen in Georgia is to license these folks. But we've got about half a dozen who are ready to go. Great. Great. All right. Let's take our first commercial break and then we'll be right back to chat more with Reggie Snyder from Taylor English Duma in Georgia. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. 
celebrate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis, and I'd like to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. We call them the Plant Profits. Each week on Plant Profits, we talk to the people at the forefront of the industry, creating real companies and career opportunities. We'll learn from the people leading the charge into the promised land of profit. Plant Profits is powered by Protus Global, people solutions firm that has been building companies, changing lives since 1995. P-R-O-T-I-S global.com. Protus Global. Find Plant Profits now at CannabisRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, and we've been getting to know Reggie Snyder from Taylor English Duma, based in Atlanta, Georgia. So let's start by talking about what's going on on the ground in Georgia, there where you're based. And as I said before, uh, the South is a little slow going when it comes to legalization, unlike other parts of the country. Uh, So medical cannabis has just recently been approved in Georgia. Really exciting to see these southern states moving in this direction. So tell me what's going on with Georgia's medical cannabis legislative rollout and what Georgia's cannabis commission is up to. Yeah. Um, so April 2019, Georgia legislature passed uh, the HOPE Act, which is uh, our first real medical marijuana legislation. We had one before, as I mentioned, but this one actually allows production and dispensing and, and really kind of lays the whole groundwork for that. Um, there are going to be a total of six production licenses issued, uh, two different classes of licenses. One is a class uh, one license, which is for facilities up to 100,000 square feet. The other uh, are class two licenses for facilities up to 50,000 square feet for indoor grow of medical marijuana. Uh, six total, 
two class one licenses and four class two. So there's not many licenses out there to be gotten. Uh, we've had a, a the creation of something called the Medical Access, I'm sorry, the Georgia Access to Medical Cannabis Commission. It's a seven member commission that was appointed by the governor, lieutenant governor, and the uh, Speaker of the House of the Georgia Legislature. And they are responsible for creating the rules, regulations, and helping uh, decide which companies are going to obtain these licenses. And they've had three meetings so far. And that was prior to the whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And when that happened, they had to sort of, you know, shut down a little bit and, and haven't had any meetings since then. But they've uh, appointed an executive director. And they're on their way to creating an application that people can actually um, fill out and submit. So it's well on its way. I would say probably by the end of this year is when we'll see an application actually show up that people can actually apply for. Uh, and that's going to be very exciting. Uh, I think that uh, under the legislation, dispensaries are, um, they're not really defined in terms of how many they want to issue in Georgia. They uh, are kind of leaving that issue up to sort of a, a overview of the demographics of the state, deciding where they need them and how many and so forth. But um, there will be two different kinds of dispensary licenses, one for retail and one for pharmacies. Uh, most of the big pharmacy companies like CVS and Walgreens aren't interested in participating right now because of federal restrictions, federal um, Ill illegality of marijuana at this point. But the smaller companies are very interested. So it will be very fascinating to see it roll out and very fascinating to see um, how these companies, once they get up and running, supply the state. Um, but yeah, so that is kind of where we are right now. And, and I suspect that by the middle of next year, we'll have our first licenses that will be awarded. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. So we'll be really off of the races. And when a company gets a license issued, they have 12 months to have their facility up and running. So they got to be experienced. Right, right. Well, yeah, that's certainly not a lot of licenses for Georgia, which is not a small state. For sure. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I hope the Cannabis Commission there can use technology here during these strange times of social distancing, maybe get a Zoom account or go to meetings and uh, keep things rolling along, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they did have a Zoom meeting for the uh, appointment of the executive director. Um, but mm -hmm. the, ironically, it was literally so many people trying to attend the meeting that they ran out of uh I guess, room in the meeting. Mm -hmm. so, right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we found out who was appointed, um, but, you know, they haven't really done anything to try and, you know, facilitate these meetings going forward. Now, I wish, the, to your point, I wish they would, but, you know, I do know that they're working still um, on, on getting these things set up. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and, and I'll tell you just sort of in terms of the meetings themselves, the meetings were attended by a lot of companies. I mean, there were a lot of out-of-state operators who showed up. And they were sort of like these, you know, beauty competitions where they, everybody stood up. They had five minutes to speak. And they each just sort of talked about how great they are. And, they marketed <laughs> and so it was very much a dog and pony show. But it was fine. I mean, I think they needed to hear it. Mm -hmm. But they were very, very large operators, some of them. And then others were smaller local folks. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of attention 
in the to the Georgia market. And to your point, it's a very large state. Atlanta is a huge city, uh, and so there will be a lot of opportunity to really grow this business and to and to really uh, have a successful kind of uh, cannabis operation if you can get a license. So, yeah, yeah I, I think, uh, and it'll be sort of like a little mini monopoly because six production facilities is not a lot. Right. Not a lot for sure. And more about the licensing that you were mentioning, you know, some states will look to other states like Colorado, where I am, to learn the lessons of implementation and how to divvy things up. And uh, one thing I thought was interesting that you said regarding the dispensaries uh, was that pharmacies are allowed to opt in. Now, that is unique. That's not something I'm aware of in any of these other legal states that pharmacies are actually participating. I know you've said Walgreens and CVS, some of the big players are maybe not going to do that right away, but independent pharmacies, small mom and pop pharmacies, is that the idea here? They can opt in to provide cannabis? Yeah, that, that's exactly the idea. Wow. Uh, they, you know, most of those folks who own their own pharmacies sort of to as you described, mom and pop kind of operations, they're usually compounding pharmacists. So they work from, you know, they get the, whatever the chemical makeup of the drugs are and they just make them there and, wow. and they operate like that. So the idea is that these folks wouldn't necessarily create their own uh, medical marijuana. Uh, I don't think they'll allow that. I think they will, however, allow them to buy it from the, the suppliers, the distributors, mm-hmm. and then they will be able to sell them inside of their independent pharmacies. And so the interesting part will be how many retail um, dispensary licenses they issue versus, you know, these pharmacy licenses. Also, I'll mention this, Bethany, which is interesting to me. Some states require dispensaries to have a pharmacist on site. Um, Mm -hmm. I think New York is one of the states that has that in their legislation. I, I don't know of others, but to the extent that you have a pharmacy, um, that will obviously have a licensed pharmacist issuing, uh, or dispensing these drugs, I think that'll be a big advantage in terms of strategic advantage for them because they will be able to, you know, give their customers uh, and the patients advice and they will be able to talk about the drugs and the effects and uh, that kind of thing in, in a much more educated, substantive way. Um, but, you know, I know that the, the retail guys, they'll be very well prepared to do the same. So it's just, it is an interesting model and it will be very interesting to see how many of these. Um, retail and pharmacy dispensary licenses are actually issued. Yeah, 100%. Super interesting. I'll be keeping my eye on that. Uh, Before we take our next commercial break here in just a minute, I want to mention a bigger issue, the elephant in the room. No political puns intended. Uh, We have a lot of challenges to secure access to banking in our industry. And NCIA's government relations team has had great success getting the Safe Banking Act passed through the U.S. House last fall. Uh, we got similar language included in the second coronavirus relief package in the U.S. House. Legislation's moving very, very slow at the federal level. Uh, what are your thoughts about our progress here? Are we going to see the Senate pass uh, pass some safe banking for cannabis or where are we at? Any predictions? Yeah. Yeah, I actually had to write an article about that very thing maybe two or three months ago. But I don't. So this we're heading into an election season, of course, in November, um, mm-hmm. and we'll be electing new Congress people and we'll be electing a new president or maybe keeping the same president. Whatever happens will be very much uh, an indicator of what's going to happen with the Safe Banking Act, among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
right now with the uh, Republican-controlled Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell and other very conservative Republicans are not really in favor of um, marijuana as a legal as legalizing it on the federal level, and they consequently also are not necessarily uh, too high on, no pun intended, uh, allowing the um, legislation that helps the industry go through, like say banking and and other uh, statutes that deal with, uh, for example, insurance and, and providing insurance coverage for these various companies. Mm-hmm. So I think that given the coronavirus pandemic, there were a lot of things that were kind of put on the back burner um, in, in Congress that have to take first precedent as they've come back in the session and they're kind of trying to get through a lot of the, the appointments that President Trump was trying to put into place mm-hmm. and dealing with other legislation that I think, at least in terms of the Senate, will be certainly given um, first priority over things like uh, medical marijuana and and, uh, recreational marijuana related stuff. So I think we're going to have a hard, uh, difficult time getting that passed in the Mm -hmm. current uh, Congress as it's, as it's, as it's, uh, you know, as it's currently configured, as you said, it went through the house fine because it's controlled by the Democrats. So if we get a Democrat controlled Senate, uh, I think that you'll probably see passage of the Safe Banking Act. That is a big if, and we'll just have to wait and see. But if we had Democrat-controlled Senate and House, then that's probably going to happen. Now, then the question becomes, who's the president? Uh, I don't know what Donald President Trump would do with the Safe Banking Act if he got through Congress and got on his desk. He may veto it. Uh, if he vetoed it, then you have to have two-thirds of uh, the House and the Senate over, overrule him. And that, <laughs> I'm not sure if he could do it. That's tough. Uh, yeah, that's tough. So right. if right. he, I just honestly, I've never gotten a sense for what he thinks about it. I, he doesn't seem to be opposed to it per se, uh, and I think he could be persuaded if someone who he respected uh, persuaded him. But that I don't yeah. know who it would be. Right. Uh, right. I will mention that. Uh, oh yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. We got to take our next commercial break and we'll be right back to chat more with Reggie. So stay tuned. Be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really one toke over the line. I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Oh, lady marijuana llama, tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. 
Cannabis and cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Pempire, a show dedicated to exploring the many potential therapeutic uses of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of healing and now making a heroic comeback, cannabis has the potential to promote health and well-being, bring the body back to homostasis, and foster recovery for a healthier way of living. Hempire focuses on a diverse range of serious health issues, presenting views ranging from those of patients and their loved ones through those of researchers and medical professionals. Welcome to Hempire. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, and we've been chatting with Reggie Snyder from Taylor English Duma about what's going on in Georgia primarily and the medical marijuana programs there rolling out slowly but surely and some interesting aspects about that program as well. Um, we also talked a bit about safe banking and legislation and how Congress moves at a glacial pace and all the other baseball that goes on around the Beltway. So NCIA's government relations team in Washington, D.C. and our public policy team is constantly working on these issues, uh, be it safe banking, be it small business Uh, relief for the cannabis industry. There's a host of issues uh, that we are monitoring and writing letters and getting signatures and lobbying and getting co-sponsors. So make sure you're keeping up on all the work that NCIA's government relations team is up to. So Reggie, as we're wrapping up our conversation here, I know we're kind of in the weeds here, the puns, they never stop, uh, about some state level things and federal stuff, but it's kind of nice to think big picture sometimes, uh, you know, 10 years ago, where were you? Could you have ever imagined we would have legal cannabis, uh, in for, for medicine purposes in the number of States we have not to mention for adults over 21. Uh, let's, let's start with that question. It's kind of a fun thing to think about. Where were you 10 years ago? Any, like, could you have seen this? Yeah, 10 years ago, I was just getting to Atlanta. Um, and no, I, I would have never thought in a million years, one, that we'd see cannabis as commonplace and, and as, as accepted as it is across industries. And then more importantly, in the Southeast and Alabama and Georgia and very conservative states like this, mm-hmm. and we see legislation passed that will allow us to actually produce it. Now, it's very conservative legislation, obviously, right? But yeah. at the same time, yeah, 10 years ago, I would not have been able to even see it. In fact, even personally, I was uh, probably in the camp of being a little bit cynical about cannabis, right? Or, or you know, mm-hmm. what do you mean you got cannabis? Thinking in terms of what people have oftentimes associated with being a very negative thing. But it, as I've learned, it's an extremely positive um, drug and it can be extremely helpful to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've come a long way, uh, you know, which makes us wonder what kind of progress we might make 10 years into the future uh, in the year 2030, which would be NCIA's 
20-year anniversary as an organization. Uh, so as we're in our 10-year anniversary this year, uh, we're looking to the future also. Do you have any, here in our last minute before we wrap up the show, any predictions for where the industry were, would will be or where you might like to see it? Yes, I'm putting my Nostradamus hat on right now. I'm telling yes. you that 10 years from now, marijuana will be descheduled, uh, be a federally legal drug. It may not be scheduled one like hemp, but it will be below five. Uh, I'm sorry, below a, a schedule one drug. So it will be um, something that could be transported across state lines. It will be able to be produced on a national supply chain so that companies like Pfizer or Novartis or any of these huge pharmaceutical companies, I believe, will enter into the market aggressively and they will acquire other companies that are already existing operators. Mm-hmm. They will create their own national supply chain, create brands that they market like you know, uh, Tylenol or any of the other drugs you see off the uh, shelf, over-the-counter drugs, including that as well as prescription drugs. Um, there will be all kinds of changes like that in a very large macro and microeconomic level. And, uh, you know, you will see this become very commonplace. And lastly, I will tell you that you will start seeing it uh, in everyday foods and other things as the FDA gets involved and starts testing and proving what things are safe and, and, and have high efficacy, that you'll see it in foods and drinks and all kinds of manner of consumer products. Um, so it will become as commonplace to me as beer. And that's the analogy I like to draw. You know, you can get that at a a 7-Eleven or or a convenience store. You'll be able to do the same thing with cannabis products. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that day. Absolutely. We're, we're working toward getting all that science tied in and locked down so that we can, you know, go grab our cannabis from Whole Foods. (laughs) (laughs) One day. (laughs) One day, right? Right. All right. Well, we have run out of time, but thank you so much for taking time to join me on the show today. It's nice to hear what's going on in Georgia uh, and the South in general as as we continue this state-by-state domino, dominoes falling, bringing cannabis to medical patients and adults. So where can people find out more about you and your firm? So you can go to our website at www.taylorenglish.com. We have all of our different services and profiles of our attorneys on there. Uh, And frankly, you can just Google me. Uh, I'll show up and um, you'll see many of the articles I've written um, about the cannabis industry and and the various uh, aspects of that. And I think that um, we'll be seeing great things in the next two, three, four years. So exciting. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for being on the show and thanks to everyone for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.